Hi, I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. For this episode, I wanted to take a look back at some of the different African-American musicians that I've been able to talk to. You'll be hearing again from Dr. View, Barty Strange, Original Flow, and JB. All of them released really great projects in the last year, and they shared with me some of their stories and experiences that went into their music. First is Dr. View. Dr. View is a hip-hop producer based in Tulsa and actually holds a doctorate in higher education administration from the University of Oklahoma. He currently works as the manager of education and diversity outreach at the Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan Center. He released a project called Invisible Man and is part of Fire and Little Africa, a hip hop project commemorating the 1921 massacre of Black Wall Street. We talk about the connections he found with Ralph Ellison's novel of the same title and his work in education. Came from the bottom to got him. Buckets to whip in the goblet. Niggas act like they the answer, but won't let it rain, that's a problem. Spitting dope, bet your sponsor. Dinner table with the mobsters. Eating greedy little tortellini like my baby ZD kind of- Your latest release is a parentheses in and parentheses visible man, which is uh, taking the name from the Ralph Allison novel, Invisible Man. Um, but I actually heard that you didn't read the book before you started like kind of producing this album. That is correct. Is correct. Um, so in the Invisible Man album was actually a social experiment to prepare for Final Africa. So I mentioned Final Africa is the compilation album that's coming out next year. We had over 50 artists all from Oklahoma, Tulsa, Lawton, and Oklahoma City. And Final Africa was inspired by Revenge of the Dreamers 3, which uh, J. Cole did in 2019 where over 150 artists came together and developed over 300 songs in 10 days. And so we did the same thing, but we only did it in five. We did 140 songs. And we were, we did that in March of this year, like literally right before COVID started like getting crazy. You know, I'm a, I'm a planner and I'm very type A. So I was like, I wanna do something before we record, you know, in March just to see how people engage with each other, like in the studio. So I was like, hey, I got some beats that I've made. I haven't released my own project. Um, so I was like, hey, let me let me put myself out on the line and see how people work. So I had beats already made. Um, I had an idea of the people that I wanted on the records. And so I invited them to Tulsa for two days and I believe in November 2019. And we recorded the project in two days. I just remember, I was like, hey, this is all Oklahoma music, Oklahoma talent, Oklahoma production. When people think of Oklahoma music, I think like, like from a bird's eye view, people just kind of laugh at it. I feel like they don't take us serious. And so I just started thinking about, you know, how can I, this album that I'm creating, what can I connect it to that is still Oklahoma like bread and like speaks to how we feel when it comes to hip hop music in Oklahoma, but also like how the world sees us as well. And I just started thinking about concepts. And uh, I mean, Ralph Ellison was, his teacher was a huge part of my research for my dissertation. And, you know, Ralph Ellison went to Douglas High School, um, 
on the east side of Oklahoma City um, and talked a lot about how jazz music influenced like his writing. I think the first prominent mention of a jazz song is uh, Black and Blue by uh, Louis Armstrong. And he even uh, writes down some of the lyrics in the book. How would it end? Ain't got a friend. My only sin is in my skin. What did I do? To be so black and blue. The question that just kept, kept coming to my head was how do I make the invisible visible? How do I make the invisible visible? From the lyrics to the to the production to like the transition from one song to the next. Like, how do we make the invisible visible? And so yeah, that's all I gave like the artists. Um, and at the time I didn't read the book. Um, I actually didn't read it until after the album was mixed and mastered. Um, one, because I didn't want to be influenced by his words. I wanted to see organically if there was any like parallels of how I was trying to connect the art to the book. Um, and immediately once we got done, I, I started reading the book and this whole idea of making invisible music, I just felt like that's exactly what we were making. Like, I wanted it to be something where, obviously, like, kids will be more susceptible to listen to music before they re- read a book. So I'm like, how can I develop art to where they are engaged with, like, like research, like, okay, Ralph Ellison, oh, he's from Oklahoma City. Oh, he went to Douglas. I went to Douglas High School. I never knew this history. And I think it's the same thing people are doing right now with the Tulsa Race Master. Like, oh my gosh, I never knew this happened. Like, from Oklahoma, and I never knew this history. So, indirectly, I'm trying to, like, expose people to history, like Black history, Oklahoma history, that has been so, like, compressed um, that people, like, from a visual perspective can't, can't see it or can't comprehend it. And we're talking about things that you know, teachers, parents, kids are having conversations about, like, how do we have it together? Would you be able to go into a little bit more depth on Invisible Man? So the first track is called Invisible. I was very intentional about making that the first song because I know, like, if this was a major, if I was on a major label, that song would not even make an album. So Invisible Man is, it's a mashup between I feel like a mother's child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. It's just kind of like a um, a black gospel spiritual song. And then it's it's mixed with I'm going up yonder. So what Amari Ford, who was the, the artist on the record, what he was connecting was um, 
you know, sometimes we feel so invisible, like being black in America. Sometimes people don't take us serious, like things we have to offer. Like I give the example, like, hey, I have a PhD and I've reached the highest level of education. And yet, like, I'm still viewed as, you know, someone who's going to, you know, provide harm to someone who doesn't look like me. And so he's like, you know, I feel like a mother's child, like no one cares for me, cares for us. So sometimes it gets to the point where like, we don't even feel like being here, like on this, on this earth, we'd rather go up yonder and be with God. first like five minutes of the album it's just it's just sound and I think that's the parallel like I'm trying to make with Rap Ellison so he stated in the book he discovered a new analytical way of listening to music the unheard sounds came through and each melodic line existed of itself stood out clearly from all the rest said its piece and waited patiently for the other voices to speak hip-hop in Oklahoma becomes what it is, is only when we come together. When I think of the question, what is the soundtrack of the Black Lives Matter movement? I can't think of any other place but Oklahoma. All these different things are connected to like what we see and experience every day. Next up is Bartiz Strange. Bartiz grew up in Mustang, Oklahoma, and currently lives in Washington, D.C. His album, Love Forever, was listed as one of the best albums of 2020 by NPR. He talked about that album, growing up in rural Oklahoma, and why he named a song after Mustang. Have you been performing like since you were young? Like uh, your mom was like an opera singer, right? Yeah, 
when people say, what's your first instrument? Mine would probably be singing. And um, yeah, my mom's a singer. Um, she also sang in churches a lot all over Oklahoma. Um, you know, Liberty Christian Center, down off MacArthur, um, gosh, Wildwood Christian Church, you know, out down in Oklahoma City, Cathedral of Praise, you know, like all types of churches <laughs> throughout Oklahoma. And I sang at all those churches too. Um, and that was like, I grew, that's what I grew up doing it, doing was singing in Oklahoma churches. And then, um, I mean, and then I, I got into guitars and stuff really in my teens, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it like opera and I guess choir music that you were kind of singing? I did a lot of that. Um, also like when I was young and through like middle school and I, I was in choir in high school, which is random, but like, yeah, I actually sang um, at Cimarron Circuit Opera Company, which is like a opera company based in Norman that my mom um, was, I think, like helped found um, with like the late baritone Thomas Carey, who was a black baritone that taught at OU for a long time, who's like a legendary, world-renowned operatic freak of nature um, that a lot of people don't talk about. It was like at, in Oklahoma for a long time um an incredible artist and it broke down a lot of doors for black people in that space and my mom's mentor noah noah let me come in does all fasten in the window pin keep your hand on the plow hold on noah said you don't lose your crown. yeah you know i sang um there at um you know God, what's Holmberg Hall at the University of Oklahoma? <laughs> um, that's where all of our performances were. Um, and yeah, I, I did shows there almost every summer from like eighth grade. Yeah, like shit, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. You know, um, that was a big chunk of my my young life <laughs> performing in those. It was a lot of fun. But I definitely wasn't afraid of singing on stage after that because I was always performing um, at a young age. And I grew up with so many performers. Um, it was just kind of a part of being alive. I guess I want to kind of explain or delve into like your geographic background because it's kind of wild. Like you were born in England and then kind of bounced around like Europe and like the United States until you settled into Mustang, Oklahoma when you were uh, 12, right? Yeah, I was. By the time we got to Mustang, I had to have been about like sixth, fifth grade. What was that kind of upbringing like in uh, Mustang, especially after like kind of moving around all these different places? I mean, Mustang is, a, it, it was just a conservative spot. You know, I feel like race is like, race is a huge factor, like in, in a lot of spots in Oklahoma, like, like in my high school, I mean, there was a handful of black kids and we kind of all were in our own separate little lanes and a couple of us played football. It was, it was a really like tenuous time. Like I remember like, there is a, a house that was like back behind from where we lived. And there's this guy who had a house and the, he had a Confederate flag draped over the entirety of the house. It goes from like the top all the way literally to the grass. He had one of those roofs where the roof is like from, it goes all the way down to the ground. Does that make sense? Um, kind of like a no, like a gnome's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he had a Confederate flag that went over the entire thing. And it was like rumored that he was like a Klansman and, Everybody kind of knew about it. And it's not far from Tuttle, which, you know, black people just knew not to drive through late at night. Um, you know, it was like 
you know, it's just, you're just always surrounded by fear, you know, and like pressure. Um, and, you know, we played football, so we were like kind of like high visibility people. So like everyone kind of knew us and like people would like say crazy shit to me. And my, like my dad went through tons of bullshit, like being one of the only black, like grown men around. People used to talk shit to him all the time. Like it was crazy. Um, my mom went through insane stuff. You know, we always kind of like the understood part of it was just like, you know, be safe and just make it back home, you know, because like there was a lot of crazy stuff happening to black people <laughs> in Oklahoma and in Texas that was we knew in our communities, but wasn't really being reported on. And it was, you know, kind of just a scary time. But yeah, I always just made it a point like I always wanted to get out and kind of like explore who I really was because I knew I couldn't do it um, back home, um, unfortunately. Um, as much as I love Oklahoma and a lot of the people there, I had a hard time. There is the song that uh, you wrote, uh, Going Going, that is kind of about that journey out of Oklahoma, right? Yeah, um, that song is basically about that. About leaving Oklahoma and kind of about like what we were talking about, like the fear sometimes of having to be there. Scott got like some really nice memories of like being in church and, you know, idolizing like the older guys that I I grew up around. I didn't grow up around a lot of black people. So whenever I went to church, it was always all black. And there were like people that I looked up to, which was really important for me as a kid to have some like black role models that were really solid. Um, so yeah, and that, that's one of my favorite songs. Some days you'd find us inside with the lantern on blood on the doorsill, arm of God, eyes to the Savior, the gun in my pocket, waiting for morning to come, come on down. One of the first singles that you put out was called Mustang. And is that any kind of like reference to, to Mustang, Oklahoma? Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And not in like a negative way, but just like um, that's just where I'm from. You know, I was kind of just like shouting it out. Like, it's your boy <laughs> from Mustang <laughs> in a way. I, I think it's like really great that the song is getting shared and people like it and I love that when people see it they see like Mustang and then they're like what the fuck what's that got to do with with this and you know it's just that's just where I'm from that's who I am
it took me a long time in my life. I always was running from Oklahoma and like running from who I thought I was if I stayed there or whatever. Like I had all these negative connotations. But as I got older, I realized that the things that kind of separated me from people or made me like shine or do well at something was actually from things I learned from when I was in Oklahoma. And so I thought, how appropriate would it be to lead like the first single on the song to like be like, this is who I am and this is where I'm from, like proudly, you know? Um, that's kind of like why I wanted to name it Mustang. will be two rappers from Oklahoma City, Original Flow, and JB. That after the break. KOSU has a podcast to bring you news on what's happening in the state of Oklahoma. The KOSU Daily includes local headlines. State Impact reporters will bring us the latest on education, health care, and criminal justice. And we have news focusing on agriculture and rural issues, as well as indigenous affairs. You can subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The KOSU Daily, Oklahoma News, every weekday. Welcome back. You're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. Up next is Original Flow. He released an album called Black Man Kid Boy, which he calls the blackest album he has ever made. He explains what that means to him and the meaning behind the album's title. Let's go. I'm just trying to kick it with the best life. I'm just trying to kick it with the best life. Woke up, I'm feeling all right. Woke up, I'm feeling all right. I'm just trying to kick it with the best life. I'm just trying to kick it with the best life. Woke up, I'm feeling all right. I am Original Flow. I'm a hip-hop artist. I also do poetry. Uh, I like to put events together. Overall, I just like to uh, enjoy doing music and, and spreading a positive message to inspire people to, to make a, a positive uh, change on the world. And that's what I do. Yeah, uh, you recently did this Unity OKC kind of uh, event where you put out this music video, which was a collaboration between a lot of different you know, artists in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I was approached by uh, my professor, uh, my old professor, Derek Brown, uh, from the Flaming Lips. Um, he contacted me and said, hey, I have something that you might be interested in. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he was contacted by uh, Alexander, uh, the director of the Philharmonic, uh, here in OKC, um, and they were looking for uh, some artists uh, to do a song about unity. Um, they really didn't have an idea of <laughs> what that was. It was just like, hey, let's do a song. <laughs> so um, I was contacted, and through that, I decided uh, we would, 
you know, work together and, and figure out what that looks like. Um, you know, they sent us some examples. Uh, a lot of the stuff was very kumbaya-ish. And we are the world. Yeah, we are the world. I'm just like, no, like, that's not, I mean, clearly that song was ineffective because look at where we're at now. I wanted something like, you know, all, you know, all due respect to, you know, the wonderful creators of those songs. It didn't hit the core problems um, that we're facing. I personally didn't want to follow the trend of a kind of like a false ideology of what uh, unity looks like. Um, to me, it looks like everyone actually working together to find a solution instead of saying we already have one. Let's hug it out. And that's what we ended up coming up with. We ended up talking about the the problems that's happening now and addressing those issues. And at the end, we're like, hey, so, you know, let's all come together and decide what's happening. You know, that's what I feel like uh, what the overall message was with the song. It's like, you know, we have the power to change all of us uh, when we want to come together, when we want to work together. Um, this is this is the. Uh, the idea of what true unity looks like is that we are dealing with uh, the same type of oppression uh, that's happening in America, being judged by the color of our skin, religion, uh, nationality, all those things. Um, and we come together with that common purpose to want to change that so everyone can feel comfortable when they come to America. And I feel like it's important that we, uh, that we understand that each individual uh, is a human life and it should be, you know, treated as such. And I think that was one of the, the biggest premises for me for the song was to talk about um, the importance of human life. Um, and it should not be mistreated uh, just based off of uh, skin complexion. It was really, it was a really inspiring quest uh, to create that song, we went through a lot of bumps in the road, but I feel like overall, it was worth it. It was worth the the, the small battles behind the scenes uh, to create something so beautiful. I got love for my people, but it's hard when you don't see me as an equal. Your sign is mad lethal. I bruise and I bleed you. Yelling, here's the evidence, but they still don't believe you. Wow. I'm an advocate for human life. We fighting just to breathe. Better knives for speaking up. We choose to take a knee. Our schools lack the funds. We ain't getting what we need. Surviving mental slavery with knowledge no make us free. had a few cooking sessions uh, when we were trying to decide, you know, okay, where are we going to go with the song? How are we going to go about it? So we jammed out a little bit. And once we had kind of a solid idea, we really just created um, what we felt from our hearts. And we wrote from our hearts. Um, and once we got the chance to hear that all together, it was just like a beautiful uh, a beautiful feeling. Luchando contra la misma opresión. No, 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 no te confundas. No, 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 no se confundas. Nuestra gente es de 
No more silence. No more silence. No more violence. No more violence. You supporting these racists and mad tyrants? Why you doing that? And fear speaking up for the truth? That's done. That's done. Disappeared like poof. Strange fruit still blooms through the rose. Black lives matter to who? They don't really matter till they matter to you. You roll your eyes cause you hearing the truth. You lose your voice when you force to rebuke. Choose a faction, heavily police calls, chain reactions. Shooters in the streets we packed in. I'm not a bad dude, I'm a black man. Hit him with that deep deuce as I ride through my hood. That you bring, so. Yeah, uh, I think you just kind of added a degree of seriousness to a song that is supposed to be about that kind of unity. Uh, I guess moving on to like this newest album, Black Man Kid Boy. I heard you say that this is the blackest album you had ever made. Could you talk more about that? Yeah, so uh, the reason why I say that is because this is specifically targeted towards uh, me as a black man in America. That's why I say this. It's the the blackest album I made. Like every other project I've done, um, has been a a story uh, about what I've experienced. But I've never um, just put it all together uh, cognitively into one project. And this is like my first time talking about my story and being a black man in America and dealing with the things that I've dealt with. You know, I was told at a very early age when I was a kid that I would, I talked intelligently, um, but the way they would explain things is like, oh, he talks like a white guy. He speaks like a white kid. So, um, so speaking, I guess, black would be that of lack of intelligence. And, you know, as a kid, it really upset me because, you know, I was just someone who really was into uh, words and I really like words, so I would use all these uh, big words uh, when I was younger, not to impress people, just because I just like words. And you know, just to be compared uh, based off of my skin color is something I couldn't fathom as a child. And then growing up, I finally understood. You know, people were making that distinction because, you know, of the systemic racism in America, <laughs> you know, like uh, people don't really get a chance to see it until they actually have lived um, in that type of world uh, to where your skin complexion um, really determines who they want you to be uh, in America. Um, and it doesn't define you at all. And uh, me as a kid growing up, I was a, a nerdy kid. You know, I didn't really care about what my skin complexion, you know, was. And I didn't know I was being judged because of that. I didn't know I was judged because of my skin complexion. But stuff like that, you know, uh, created this ideology of a black man kid boy. It made, you know, me who I who I am um, and talking about these stories and talking about my life experience up until this point now I'm living now. Um, was really important for me with this album. Amazing how my skin tone could make this life so difficult. Living in this world got me praying for a miracle. Proud to be black and an African-American intelligence is dangerous. Yeah, I know you scared of him. They feed me mediocre and tell me never dare to win. Uh, I'm just that black man kid, boy. Boy, I'm just that black man kid, boy. 
Life where you got mad time to think. Looking in the mirror, both hands on the sink. Like, it could all land just as fast as you blink. Connected with the heavens, but I can't find the link. The sorrow is in borrowed, that developed myself. Embellishment of wealth is headishness and self. This relevance of help is evidence of self. God is threatened through the earth and every rubble that you felt. So, Black Man Kid Boy. Um, it could mean a lot of things for different people, but for me, it's, it's literally like my experience, you know, um, as a black man, um, I get treated as a child sometimes because, you know, that is part of the oppression that we deal with to belittle the black man. Um, and as a child, I experienced a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have, um, as a kid, um, i.e. prostitution drug violence, gun violence, police violence, all those things um, as a kid. So it, it's like a it's like a combination of both of those worlds where as an adult, I should be able to see those situations and know how to deal with them. And as a kid, I'm dealing with those same situations that's happening. Um, and that is like a black kid growing up in America. You're dealing with the same situations as a child as you are as an adult. Um, but now as an adult, you realize, um, these things are only affecting people that look like you. And that's where the issue comes. When he ain't the first fruit, lost betrayal, racing history like there's been no trail, broken, beaten, and frail. Still survive to speak the tale. But I don't really know much. I'm just that black man kid boy, boy. I'm just that black man kid boy, boy. I'm just that black man kid boy. I don't really know much. I don't really know much. Last up is my conversation with JB. His latest album draws from his life and upbringing in the predominantly African-American east side of Oklahoma City, where he is also planning on opening up a pizza shop. The album is titled, This World is So Fragile and Cruel, I'm Glad I Got You. And I think that's a great sentiment to close out today's show. Uh, how have you been navigating these last couple of weeks? Uh, navigating them just, you know, trying to continue to uh, to just survive. Really, you know, um, you know, being a musician, it's 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 not easy to navigate. You know, it's been a, it's been a rough couple months, but um, you know, I've had some cool opportunities, so I've been trying to take advantage of that and just find creative ways to to stay afloat. You know, what kind of experiences then went into this album? Like, uh, it was about four four years since your last one, right? Yeah, 2016. Uh, really, just a lot of learning. You know, um, a lot of learning, a lot of you know, uh, work in the community, a lot of personal things that I dealt with, a lot of uh, loss and death. You know, a lot of uh, friends who were locked up getting released. A lot of friends who were free getting locked up, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
just just all that stuff, you know, my kids, you know, things like that. Um, and really just trying to find a way to express it all. Yeah, power's made perfect in my weakness. Sit the Jameson on days I feel defeated. My face on my shirt, I'm so conceited. My first call from MERS, I couldn't believe it. Underdog, underrated, no competing. My little brother died for no reason. Heal the sick and raise the dead, and I believe it. Can only kill me in your dreams, saw you sleeping. Everything I ever wanted, I'm finally receiving. Other niggas hating, they think that I'm cheating. I wish a nigga would give me a reason. Yeah, could you um kind of go into a little bit more detail about like putting, you know, pen to paper, like some of these experiences? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for instance, you know, I talk about um, Terrence Crutcher on the album. I talk about Isaiah Lewis in the album. Uh, I talk about, you know, one thing to talk about is the gentrification of the East Side. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, has been very, very important to me. And it's very, it's a very sensitive subject right now for people on, on the East Side. It being a food, food desert, you know, the grocery store being tore, torn down and not rebuilt and all these promises, you know, all these things, um, were just, you know, things that I wanted to talk about and, and express, uh, on the album. Have you had uh, many conversations about kind of the gentrification of the East Side? Yeah, I have, you know, um, a lot of people from the East Side, a lot of black people from the East Side, you know, we feel like, um, you know, we, for one, we feel like the East Side has always been a cool place to to live and be, you know what I'm saying? Uh, before, it was, you know, like now it's like, oh, it's just east of downtown. You can get Thunder Games faster and, and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always been the spot for us. It's always been, you know, a cool place to live for us. And so I think for the most part, a lot of people, a lot of white people who are not from the east, and they're, you know, in their head they're just like, you know, cheap property, property buy it up, buy it and flip it, you know what I'm saying, because it's going to be, in five years, it's going to be different, you know. Then there are some people who probably feel like, well, you know, um, I'm, what they're doing is good. Like, you know, they're just moving to the neighborhood. Like I said before, um, if if we lose our identity, then, you know, that's different. You know what I mean? If, if you move into the neighborhood and move your business to, to the neighborhood and people from the community can't afford to shop there, can't, can't work there, can't afford to eat there, then you don't need to be over there. But if your if your business is somewhere people from the community can can afford to eat, shop, work, all that, then um, that's that's a different conversation. Now your rent's too high for us to pay it. Your is high, your weeds legalized. Locking up the brown folks, security maximized. Becky sell weed, she just trying to feed the kids. My sister do it, she gonna have to do it big. Ginger frying hoods. If you if you want to to displace people and have them move somewhere else, the first one of the first things you you do is you take away their their uh, resources, you take away their food, so they have to move somewhere else to get it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that happens. And then for families who are um, moving to a new place, a new neighborhood, or a new community, the first thing that they look at when they move to a new house is the schools. So if you're trying to attract a certain, 
demographic of people and you and you change you've already taken their food so this this demographic of people are for, are are forced to be displaced you know i want it to still look like us whenever we whenever it you know we get the resources the other parts of town get you know what i'm saying um you know we want those resources to be for us not for somebody else moving in you know what i'm saying at the end of the day, like, whatever happens needs to happen with the community in mind. You know what I'm saying? The community that's there right now. Uh, I guess one last thing is um, if I asked you to kind of summarize, like, like the, the story of of this album, um, what would it be? I think the story is just um, this world is so fragile and cruel. I'm glad I got you. But I think that, you know, the idea... Um, kind of floats throughout the climate that we're living in right now, whether it's um, just appreciating um, the people around you and the time we have. I was diagnosed with stomach cancer at age 36. This world is fragile and cruel, but I'm glad I got you. If it's the injustice and the and the um, issues that we're dealing with in this country regarding, you know, uh, black people, you know, um, this world is fragile and cruel. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm glad I got you. I guess I, I want to just end it on this note. Um, the last thing that me and my sister had uh, seen at that uh, Juneteenth event was um, Joshua uh, Till just kind of give some last remarks about about the night after he basically like spent 30 minutes just um, doing like the Cupid Shuffle and stuff like that. For me, it was the the thing that I took away the most from that event. So uh, I really appreciate you coming, taking the time out to sit and talk with me. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, bro. Find out more about JB, Dr. View, Barty Strange, and Original Flow on KOSU.org. There you can find the song list and also links to each of their episodes. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Variapa.